OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Uh, welcome. Uh, we're super excited to have you uh, join our Ask an Angel. We might have to change that name because we're, we've been interviewing angels and VCs all over the world, but we just call everybody angels. So maybe we'll just stick it with that and we won't tell what an angel is. We'll just say that all good people. Um, but uh, yeah, welcome. And, and the best way to start uh, is if you could share a little bit about your background and kind of your journey, what you've been up to and, and where you are today. For sure. Uh, and then the only other ask is if you can share one thing about you that nobody would know. <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, I come from, I'm, I'm from, I'm from just outside Toronto, uh, Canadian, um, just, just, uh, grew, grew up in Ancaster, just outside of Hamilton, um, sort of in the early stages of, you know, going twenties and thirties, serial entrepreneur, a uh, bunch of different verticals, everything from hospitality to, um, some land development projects to, uh, my dad was a huge environmental scientist and, you know, helping out on, on, on some clean tech initiatives, um, and, and really in love with entrepreneurship. Um, at, uh, um, I applied for a renewable energy permit here in Ontario on a, um, on a, what I thought was going to be a land development project and was awarded one of the um, Green Energy Act Renewable Energy Permits. Uh, was very surprised. I would love to say it was, you know, a, a whole bunch of planning and intelligence that led to that, but it, 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 it was, you know, a, a significant component was luck. And so I had to learn a lot about renewable energy and ended up developing one of the largest solar farms in Canada. Um, I, I, I monetized that project or the development work to a Panasonic anchored private equity firm called Coronal Group. They were about a, a three quarter of a billion dollar fund. And, and that was sort of, you know, um, my first real exit, if you want to call it that, of, of significance. And it was pretty transformative from a personal, like financial perspective. Gave me a bit of breathing room to sort of step back and think about what I wanted to do next. And so I actually went back to school and I did my master's degree in entrepreneurship. The the sort of process of, of exiting on that solar farm made me very aware of a lot of the gaps I had in my skill set, And I ended up being on the project kind of the de facto finance guy. And I use that term really, really sort of, you know, that these are intentionally, you know, quotation marks around it. I had no clue what I was doing. I was, I was, it was baptism by fire. You know, I, I stepped into my first meeting or one of my first meetings to finance the project. And they were discussing, you know, some, some, some guy was discussing with me the terms of debt surrounding the project. And he was talking about LIBOR. And I literally thought LIBOR was a guy. <laughs> and so I went home and was like Googling, who is this LIBOR guy? And it was like, okay, that's the London Interbank Exchange Rate. <laughs> okay. And I don't know. I, 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 you know, it was very humbling, the process. So Anyways, I, I, I went back to school and, and, and thought it was a great chance to fill in some gaps. Uh, and, and so I, I focused on venture finance within a master's degree in entrepreneurship. Uh, um, and, and so coming out the other side of that, the, um, the gentleman who was running uh, the managing partner at Coronal who bought my solar farm, 
he did really well um, at Coronal and sort of transitioned off and had been investing on his own as an angel uh, in, in, and, and thought it was time to sort of take it to the next level and start his own fund. Uh, and, and when he was looking back along his journey, um, he was sort of looking for people who he, he got along well with and respected and amazingly asked me to come join him. And that was sort of the genesis of my joining Checkmate Capital. Uh, and so for the past two years, I, I, I moved from entrepreneurship to the dark side of, of venture finance. And I've been working with Checkmate Capital as a partner, put my own money in and, uh, and uh, off we go. And um, uh, so, you know, we're, we're sort of somewhere between a family office and a venture capital fund. We do take investment, but we also... Are, are, are definitely unlike a venture capital fund. We, we use mostly our own money. Um, and uh, um, we have a few different verticals that we invest in. Um, um, uh, everything, uh, you know, I guess we're just a group of guys that got together and really love supporting entrepreneurs. And, and so if you can convince the guy something's good, we'll invest in it. But that seems to fall along our personal interests. And so everyone on the team is, is interested in, in, you know, I, I think we all have big hearts. So we tend to invest in things that help people like health and healthcare and health tech, biocide drugs that have the potential to change people's lives in a positive way. But we also have sort of this renewed sustainability lens where uh, we like ag tech. Um, we like um, um, waste to energy, waste to resource. We, we tend to take a, uh, uh, a view that things that are being thrown away are cheap to get. And if you can turn them to something of high value, then that's a great business model. Uh, and, and that sort of seems to be the lens, personal lens, and I guess checkmates lens around our, our sort of investment thesis. And I, I've been rambling. Um, the, I, I, that's sort of my background and what got me to where I am today. And something that nobody, like nobody knows about me, including like, like my loved ones, well, you can choose. It's more of a... I mean, okay, like from a business perspective. Yeah, whatever you want. It could be anything. Uh, out there, uh, I'm an award-winning filmmaker. Uh, I, 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 as, a, as sort of a passion, uh, I, I, at, in that time after I sold the solar farm, I, I, I have a love for visual storytelling. And um, I made, you know, three award-winning documentaries uh, around themes that, that resonate with me. One was a documentary about mangrove forests, which is a really important ecosystem people don't know about. And a couple about animal assisted therapy where they're using animals to help people facing profound physical and psychological challenges. Uh, but interestingly enough, that, that skill set has actually been preposterously important in, um, in business because ultimately, uh, the structure of telling a great story and the tools associated with um, uh, crafting a compelling narrative uh, apply all through business. Every time you're pitching, every time you're trying to, you know, talk to an investor or uh, market your product, ultimately it boils down to the same principles of storytelling. And so it's been a very transferable skill set, if you want to call it that. That would be huge. Just being yeah. able to take something and build a narrative around it. And then going out into the world and everybody's coming to you with the narrative of something that they're trying to sell and you're looking at it going, mm, maybe yeah. you got to change that a little bit. And, and the myth is that the myth is that it's an art that only creatives have access to. And the truth is that it's highly technical. 
Um, there are standard structures and approaches that you can learn and you can develop and you can cultivate, and you get better at, you know, you're, you don't have to just say, oh, you're born a storyteller. Uh, some people have an aptitude for it, like everything, but the skill sets associated with being a great storyteller are absolutely learnable. So, um, you know, that's uh, um, and something that I continue to try and uh, cultivate as far as a craft. And it's something that continues to benefit me, uh, even if I'm not making films. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's uh, for me, it's it's really all about uh, telling a great story to get people interested, understanding what you're trying to do. And that's kind of how we help. Right. We're that in between uh, accelerators, incubators and funding. And we really try to get you to understand what you're selling, because yeah. a lot of the time people just don't understand it. They think it's just selling a widget. This is what I do. But there's a lot more to it. And then tying that story into all the other aspects of your business makes a big difference. And having that creative mind, it's not about uh, coming up with the most clever ad. That's not what a creative um, mind does. Um, it's coming up with, like you said, that technical aspect and being able to really uh, hone in on the real problem and the real focus and pull that mapping out. out. Mapping out your customer journey and understanding which hurdles you're trying to overcome with your marketing materials. And then using those highly technical things to then, yeah, sure, have some fun, come up with something clever. But yeah. the, the process of getting there you know, 90% of it is non-creative. 90% of it is just super technical. And that, that you know, I, I, I think is it's a lot of people who are skilled at it. They hide that. They don't want you to know that 90% of what they do and is so valuable can be learned. But, you know, it can be. Well, eventually, I think it becomes almost like, a, uh, I guess, in a way, it's, pro, it's processable. Like, uh, it's kind of like a 10-step thing that you're going to go through each time. And if you can get yourself into that mindset, sure, you can do that. It's like a golf swing. If I stand there and go to hit the ball and I go through the tilt my head, put my shoulder back, push my butt out, then I got to do this and then I'm going to shoot. Sure. Every time you can do that, but that doesn't mean you're going outside the box. You're not thinking things and that comes from time experience and yeah. being through the, the yeah. crux of life. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, uh, and I love the idea on, on that. You've had three. I, I'm actually, I want to watch these. I'm going to go through them. The mangrove one, I believe I actually have seen it and I'm going to double check when I go into it. If, uh, is it online? Yeah. Yeah. They're online. I, I'll send them to you. Yeah. I think I may have seen the one because it sounds very familiar. Okay. Uh, and it's only because I watch so much stuff. It's not funny, but I'm a big <laughs> fan of, of good content. So uh, I may have checked that one out already, but either way I, I'm excited to see them. Um, I feel like I wrote a screenplay five years ago, four or five years ago, uh, with a writer and she was phenomenal. And, uh, if you're ever looking for a great writer, I should introduce to her, but we wrote one and we pitched it around for a while and then, uh, different versions of it started coming out, but we're, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, uh, it's still out there. It's still pretty cool. Like eventually one day I'll put some time back into it, but we had, a, we uh, enjoyed ourselves whipping through that. It was very, um, I guess when you're when you're learning something you've never done before, when it comes to writing a um, a play or doing something, you're challenging yourself. It was uh, it was pretty exciting. It was a lot yeah, of fun. I can imagine for sure, for sure. So just to take a step back to, uh, and I really love the fact of uh, when you were you sold your company. One thing that uh, always comes about, and people always ask, like. Uh, what did you go through? How did you figure this out? How did you know when it was time to sell? 
Yeah. What were those things that really drove you to doing this and why, what made you actually decide that it was time to move forward and, and like you said, uh, enjoy what you had built and the outcome of it? What got you to do that? Question, yeah, perfect. Teetering on bankruptcy. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's not the answer. So much stress, for. way too much debt, personal debt and personal guarantees and I was done with it. Oh, really? I went through the textbook definition of the founder's dilemma. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Noel Wasserman from Harvard University essentially studied entrepreneurship. And he realized that uh, the data shows that um, a couple things. Data shows a couple things. One, uh, upon first receipt of external capital, like 66% of founders will no longer be controlled their company within three years. Two. If you look at companies as a firm, as an enterprise, and you look at their and you look at their sort of you know valuation, enterprise value, uh, companies where the founder is still in control of the company, generally speaking, are worth less within in five years, as opposed to and so you know, um, I received the solar farm contract for you know a, a three megawatt solar farm that you know layman's term, approximately three million dollars a year for twenty years. $60 million. I wanted every cent of it and I wanted to be in control. So I tried to finagle my way through this project to maintain as much control as possible. So I gave up no equity and, you know, one, one, or, one or two partners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, all of the assumptions I made about being able to drive this forward were incorrect. You know, the permitting took longer than I thought it would. The costs were more expensive than I thought they would be. The, the, the curveballs that got thrown at me in terms of litigation and, and whatnot, um, um, it got really, really, really challenging. And so the dream of retained ownership um, um, fell apart. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, uh, I switched gears and, and decided, okay, fine. The best way to monetize all this work is to sell it. And it turned out being really great. It turned out to be amazing. But I can say that like more challenging than the financial pivot, if you want to call it pivot, um, was the fact that the personal sense of failure that I had represented to so many people that this was my project I was going to take it all the way and own this thing for 20 years. And I was going to be the first non-institutional solar farm owner. Like everyone else that was doing this was big companies. And I was a guy and it's like, wow, you know, like I'm going to do this. And I told so many people I'd had the perfect plan. And so to then go back to those same people and say, Hey, you know, it didn't work out. That personal sense of failure was more profound. And, and, and that was the, more bitter pill to swallow than just the financial strategy pivot. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did and I had to. And, and um, you know, the process and everything now in retrospect, I'm so thankful for. I, I, I gained more, have learned more than I ever would have just if everything had went perfectly and smooth. Uh, um, I'm, you know, I, I think I'm a better person for the, for the way it transpired. Uh, but I would love to say I was the architect of some, you know, phenomenally well-crafted exit strategy. No, uh, I, I had tried so many times to become the king and realized that um, I didn't, I, I couldn't be the king, but I could, I could make some money and, and let someone else, you know, own the project. And so that, that was sort of the, the, the path, tumultuous path to, to exit. Um, Which isn't a bad thing. So the thing is that you realized it, 
Mm. Whereas a, a lot of people may have taken more debt on and more problems and been sued or whatever and not been able to produce the outcome. So what was that moment? You laugh changed at people it. that had gold fever during the gold rush till you're in it. And yes. then you start to go, oh. <laughs> yeah, this is why my uncle didn't come here. This is crazy. Yeah. So, so what was the what part made you change though? What was the, did you wake up one morning and just say, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. Or was it like staged events that occurred and yeah, you're like, okay, no, I really can't execute this. And I got to do this. It's, it's the culmination of, you know, multiple things stacking on top of each other. And, you know, you wake up every day and you're excited to work on something. It's your dream project. And then at a certain point you go, wow, I'm not happy. Like this isn't a dream anymore. This is, this is just, this is actually a source of unhappiness as opposed to happiness. At that point, it's like, well, why are you doing this every day? Why am I getting up fighting over this thing every day? It's not even making me happy anymore. So, mm. you know, I think, I think one of the other cool things that came out of it is that, that I negotiated a pretty interesting um, I negotiated a pretty interesting agreement so that there's some retained performance benefits. So I kind of stay involved with the project for the rest of its life. And even though it's not in any capacity in an owner, but uh, I can still go up there and look at it. And, you know, 100 acres covered in solar panels. I, I helped make it. And I'm proud. I'm yeah, it's really amazing. I'm really proud of what, what I achieved. So, you well, you accomplished something that's huge and what everybody would want to accomplish. You were able to do that. I mean, just building a company, building a big contract and selling it. But you came up with all of that, regardless of the pitfalls and the roller coaster ride that you went on, you still were able to make that determination move forward. I, I, I would argue that almost any business person um, probably probably sugarcoats a lot of the elements of of challenge and and often um, uh either intentionally, so either consciously or subconsciously um, um, discredits the amount of luck that's involved in any successful venture. Um, a lot of things have to align for something to be successful beyond just a good idea. And, and you know, to the, to, the, to, the, to the credit of so many entrepreneurs out there who have great ideas, it's not always that you didn't have a good idea that something didn't pan out. There's also a lot of luck that has to align. You know, I define luck as when skill meets opportunity. So as long as you're continuing to work on your skills and being open to opportunity, absolutely, you will be quote unquote luckier and a luckier person, but it's ultimately variables that are external to your control that have a lot to do with um, the success of a venture. And, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, in, in the business world, there was sort of a switch from the SWOT analysis of companies, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, to something called Porter's Five Forces, which is the preferred framework now. And, and, and Porter's Five Forces is sort of the acknowledgement of the fact that when you look at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, you're really inward looking. But Porter's, Porter's Five Forces is like outward looking. And it's actually saying external factors have more at play on your venture. Than, than internal factors. Um, and, and so, you know. Um, and that can come down to COVID. Like things that you yeah. don't even expect to happen. One minute you got a roller coaster ride and the next minute you're- You could have planned for it. You could have planned for it. Yeah. I have so many friends. I, 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 my, my first ventures are in hospitality. I own a bar and a nightclub in the city of Toronto. They were very successful. And, and through that huge network in the city of, of hospitality, you know, yep. hospitality players, they are just rocked. Yep. And 
And, you know, some of these guys were like, you know, they felt like they had ATMs. Like they just, they could just open another bar with their name and it would just print the money. And they just like, how can I find another location to rent? That was their biggest challenge. And all of them are just like, like, you know, what happened? They're still in shell shock, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and then tangential, you know, like to that industry, you know, people in, you know, um, events or people in, um, you know, people that provide technology and equipment for events, they're all rocked right now. Yep, there's yep. no possible way they could have, you know, anticipated what, what's happening. It's, or even how to embrace it if it ever did happen and how they would pivot through that, right? It's, it's not one of your main, main thing of focus. You're just focused on your business for now. And now I think you're gonna, there's yeah. going to be a lot of measures built into how people run their companies uh, or how they rent out their apartments or how they do everything. There's always going to be this backwards, back end of your head thinking, wait, can you do this? Is this there? Is this there? Because if we ever get hit with this again, I need to protect myself. So there's going to be businesses that were blue, um, blue chip or just steady growth things that are now going to be taking a beating and be classified as high risk because you don't know what that possibility is with that, right? Like commercial real estate. I'm sure right now they're rocked and everybody's like, they're probably pumping stories out like crazy saying, oh no, everybody's coming back to the city. And then you've got the real data coming back. You know, the city of Toronto lost 50,000 people in the last, um, uh, 12 months, sorry, from July, 2019 to July, 2020. And that's the most ever. And, and that's pretty big. So now you're going to say, well, that just seems like a minor 2%. Well now put COVID in there and now you're going to have a bigger change. You're not going to get taxes. So there's uh, cascades everywhere. Right. And it's got to be pre-planning and thinking about these things now when you build a company. Um, so you made this pivot, you sold the company, how much of this, and you mentioned a little bit about this, but how much of this is listening and interacting with your environment to come up with this choice that you made? Um, you mentioned that it's luck. Well, a lot of luck is just sometimes listening to what's going on. And a lot of times you want to be pushing it out. You're like, I don't have time for this. Don't want to listen. But that moment, someone shared some real valuable insight that you yeah, could yeah. have thought about, but you were not really thinking of luck or thinking of opportunity. How much of that came into play when you were doing this? You know, so, so, yeah, like, like, um, yeah, yeah, I guess exactly like you said. Um, Networking, you want, talking you to people. To be, if you want to be luckier, you better open yourself up to more opportunities. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I think the the losing the tunnel vision yeah. kind of opens opportunity. Well, then I was able to act when when something that I wouldn't have seen before um, presented itself. And so, you know, um, yeah, I would say it's, it's, if you want to increase your likelihood of luck, then, you know, what I learned was to just keep a, keep a wide, wide lens on, on the opportunities that, that are around you at any given time. And did um, that help you change and sell? Like, because you now had more opportunities, you knew more people when you went in to sell, you knew who to go to right away, or did you kind of have to vet it out? Did you yeah, trial and error, man. You have, to, you have to figure it out. So, so you know, I I, I never sold a multi million dollar solar farm before. So, you know, you have to you have to you know fake it till you make it. So, the first three meetings, you go in and and um, and you're meeting these you know savvy, sharp, M and A focused, you know you know renewable energy funds. 
yeah. and, and, and what, what do you do? Like, you know, you, you, you listen to what they have to say, you, you try to understand what they're talking about and you learn, uh, you know, every second you learn. And by the fourth one, you know what you're doing. And, and, and you're not surprised when they try to, you know, put some like Einstein's equation on the board to explain to why your soul farms not worth anything. And you can just laugh and say, well, you know, <laughs> I like Einstein's equation that you're trying to, you know, fool me with, but you know, the guy before you offered me 10. So, you know what? <laughs> you so got you to be 10 and, and you just, you, you learn how to handle yourself. And, and I, I, I really feel like, you know, uh, it's one of those things that, um, you know, while I'm very, very happy with and, and extremely cognizant of the, of the skills gained through my education, it is one of those things that you really learn best by just doing and accepting the fact that, you know, um, you're not going to be perfect the first time. Uh, I, you know, one of my favorite anecdotes is that there's a famous comedian named Charlie Murphy. Um, he was on the Dave Chappelle show. He's Eddie Murphy's brother. Be really quick. Yeah, yeah. He, bombs, he bombs he bombs on stage he bombs and he comes back and he says to his brother eddie he goes you know eddie i bombed today on stage i'm really bummed i need to be cheered up and eddie looks at him and says you know f you who do you think you are he's like me chris rock richard pryor jerry seinfeld every single one of us have bombed what makes you think you're better than us we're the best five comedians on the planet and we've bombed why do you think you're not going to bomb? And it was just like, you know, uh, that, that, that really, the story really stuck with me because it's so applicable. Um, you know, I was just reading today that, that, that on the success of Airbnb's IPO, their, their, their seed round was turned down. They got turned down by 75 investors before their first investment. And that's Airbnb. And it's like, those guys got slapped in the face 75 times, you know, what makes what makes you think that the first time you go with with your your fund to go raise some capital from LPs, they're going to say yes? What's what makes you think the first time you're an entrepreneur, you know, it's your first shot at it? And so for me in this project, it was like, you know, I knew that I'd never done this before. So it's just like, all right, I'm going to suck the first three times I do it. But, you know. But you're not closing on the first first meeting, so you're going to learn as much as you you'll can. You'll learn anyways. And you'll get smarter for the next it. one. Accept it. You, know, you, have to, you have to accept it. Accept the fact that, you know, you, until you do something, you're not going to be good at it. And, you know, like there's there's some statistics out there. You spend 10,000 aggregate hours at something and you'll eventually be good at it. So just get on that path to spending 10,000 hours doing something. And if that's being an entrepreneur, then be an entrepreneur for 10,000 hours and you'll get good at it. You know, it's, 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 you just got to stay in the game. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell is, uh, has pushed that well. I'm a big fan, and, and I do agree. You got to put time in. You got to focus. You got to be hyper-driven. Um, but you got to be open and minded. You got to listen and take all the insights from everybody and then decipher that down into the right story or the right narrative that you need in order to grow and build. And then when it comes to the crunch time, ask questions and ask lots of them because it's pretty I'm crucial sure. because that equation can screw a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, uh, uh, so sounds like uh, honestly amazing experience having any sort of m a experience is going to be do anybody well when it comes to uh, investing and working with entrepreneurs uh, you mentioned that you went back to school um and it was it in paris was it online how did that work online yeah absolutely it was the first so hec paris people don't know much about north america but 
you know, I want to call it the Harvard of Europe. It's consistent. Yeah, it's massive school. Yeah, yeah. Really I always wanted to go there. It's like, that's why I have more, grades, more presidents in France than any other school. Yep. You know, uh, um, consistently ranked number one business school in Europe, consistently ranked top three in the world. You know, really, really an amazing, you know, school, elite, elite school. And they offered their first online master's degree, executive master's degree in, in entrepreneurship. I was one of, one of the first, first attendees. Um, and, uh, um, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a phenomenally transformative experience. I think, I think one of the myths of entrepreneurship is this, like this guy who goes and builds something in the garage. He, 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 he says, you know, he drops out of college because college teaches you to become a robot and they're bad and you go and you be an entrepreneur in the face of school. And, and, and the truth is that, um, much like, um, you know, Silicon Valley is in its approaches has disrupted quote unquote entrepreneurship, the top academies and the top schools in the world, and now even down to all schools in the world, I would say, um, they have, they have sort of, um, assembled and, and, and consolidated all of the most powerful contemporary frameworks associated with trying to get a, a, a really customer-centric product out into market, how to actually apply tools and, and methods that increase the likelihood of success of entrepreneurship. And so for me, I kind of went in there cocky and being like, I just want to learn the venture finance side. And, and then was completely reshaped as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur by, you know, customer centricity, you know, um, instead of trying to just come up with great solutions, which is sort of my entrepreneurial approach is like, yeah, I come up with great ideas. Yeah. It was like sort of kind of reshaped my, my, my thought process into being like, really listen and look at what problems people have. And then, and then there's ways you can help to create value for people with big problems. And, and it's a different mindset. Um, uh, from from the perspective of entrepreneurship and and as a as an investor now you know um it, it's it's something because we're really concerned with making money we're really concerned with the problem that you're solving not so much how good your solution is if if it if it's a great solution to um you know a problem that only one or two people have, or they don't even have, it's just a really cool solution. My dad's a scientist. He had this all the time, incredible technological solutions to problems. Nobody had, um, or they didn't um, have yet or yet, or, or, or only if you are living in a, you know, zero G in an environment filled with, you know, some type of weird gas, then it would be a really applicable solution. But, you know, like, like for, for earth, for earth, where, 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 you know, right now. Um, and, 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 you know, I think, I think it really, I really gave me a, a healthier lens and that, um, it took the ego equation out of entrepreneurship as well. Like stop trying to think of this as some way to validate how smart or how good you are as a person and try to think of the entrepreneurial journey as something that helps other people solve a problem. I like it. No, that's very cool. Yeah. I've been big, been a big fan of that school and followed it. And it's somewhere in the line of the next 10, 20 years for myself, but I will do that. I want to get my PhD, so I got to take some time to figure it all out. It's really cool. I got asked now to come back. I actually help teach the MBAs now, 
uh, on the topic of the founder, the same short story I shared with you, I now shared to the MBA class there about going through the founder's dilemma um, and and some other some other some other aspects of the thing. But yeah, in in association with the Creative Destruction Lab in Paris. Yep. And, and uh, um, yeah, I'm teaching the MBA, uh, help, helping teach one lecture at the MBA class. Amazing. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to uh, to come full circle from from student to helping helping with the with the you know, the other side of it. Totally agree. Oh, that's wicked. So now take all of this stuff that you've done and it folds into what you're doing today at Checkmate. Um, maybe give us a, a bit of an idea. You talked a little bit earlier about the types of verticals you invest in. What things do you look for when you're working with uh, entrepreneurs? What is it uh, that you hone in on? And uh, how is the business kind of shaped around your past experiences to get you guys where you are today? For sure. So, okay. So we, we're, we're, we're typically um, seed round investors. Um, I would say in a lot of cases, um, companies, uh, you know, it's, it's different because we, we do invest in, we invest in tech and in like, in tech, but we also invest in bioscience and life sciences. So there's a bit of a different, let's say, um, there's, a, there's a bit of a different journey in that, you know, in tech, what you're really looking for is, you know, people who have developed a prototype or something and they've started to find their product market fit. And, and, and now they need money to sort of, you know, accelerate the, the process of taking their product to market. Uh, and in, in biosci, you know, people have, found some type of a molecule or uh, a drug and they're still six years away from, from being able to sell it. (laughs) So, so it's not, it's not in a lot of the the language you hear associated with sort of investor and entrepreneurial investment is is not applicable because you're, you're not looking for someone with product who's achieved product market fit. But um, that said, in both cases, we're typically sort of the first institutional capital that an investor gets. So we'll, we'll lead a seed round um, or uh, um, sometimes series A, but typically a seed round, a real seed round where, you know, they've done their friends and family, they've built something, they've got something here that now looks like there's a way to take it to market. And, or there, in the case of drug, there's a clear, clear regulatory pathway to, to receiving, you know, approval for this thing to be used. And, and so, they're, they're looking for investors and, you know, we'll come in and give them that sort of, you know, mid six figure check that they use in association with sort of the deal we structure with them to go out and also bring in, you know, some other angels and high net worth individuals and to, to, to finish their round. And, 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 you know, we'd be seen as the lead. Uh, and, and, you know, part of the reason why, you know, our thesis is that, um, uh, we get very, we stay very involved with our, with our investees or about like the companies we invest in. And, um, um, we see that as our way of de-risking the investment. So, so our ability to help and to leverage all of our entrepreneurial experience and, and financing prowess and, you know, our global network of, of, of potential licensees and, you know, customers, um, if we, if we can bring all that to the table beyond just a dollar, then, then, wow, that's a lot of help. That should help this company succeed and so therefore be less risky in investment. I love it. And it does help when you have a lot more 
hands make less work as the old saying goes, but if you're able to help guide, but also bring a lot more to the table, it brings a lot more value for your end, end goal, which is helping that company get to the next stage. Yeah, it kind of answers the second part of your question though, which is what do you look for in, in, in companies then? And so then the human factor becomes super important for us because if we're going to help out, we're going to be involved, you know, we're investing early. So, you know, we're seven years away from a liquidity event. Um, we're with you and we're together and we're interacting a lot for a long time. It has to be fun and it has to be, you know, a situation where you look forward to talking to this person and excited to help them. And, and, you know, so mutual respect, um, uh, alignment of cultures, like, like business culture, um, you know, all of those things are, are really important and, uh, they have, you know, they have a lot to do with the person, uh, and, and just not, not even their skill set. just like, you know, our, our, is the first 10 minutes of our conversation of our phone calls, like unintentionally spent just to catching up because we're so excited to talk to each other. Or is it like, you know, an awkward silence and like, you know, reading the notes and, and, and if, 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 if you're going to get involved with a company for seven years and you're a small team that spends a lot of time together, it's gotta be a human connection. That's a good point. Uh, and that's, uh, that's built over time, right? That's focus and helping each other and, and being, yeah, uh, and being open, right. For us, you know, it, it often starts right at the um, at the at this at the at the vetting stage, where you know we'll go and we'll typically and when we begin diligence on a company, you know, we'll ask them to go get some stuff for us. You know, like we want this, we want that, and and um, and do they deliver? Are they like do does a does a founder actually come through and, and give you more than what they said they were going to on certain things? We have a we have a Canadian company we invested in. Like shamelessly plug them because we love them. But um, the first first real Canadian investment is a group in Toronto called Lactiga, and we 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 were their first institutional investor. We we um, and and they they have this incredible thing where they're they're taking the breast milk that's discarded from breast milk banks, and they've patented the way to isolate the most uh, powerful antibodies. And these can be used to treat all sorts of illnesses that have really no treatment for uh, everything down to actually showing efficacy against COVID uh, uh, diseases of the mucosal space uh, seem to be really amenable to these antibodies that they're able to isolate. And it's from a source that's being discarded. It's a really incredible company. And so when we first met the, the founder and, and we asked him and we said, Hey, you know, like we're kind of worried about the supply. You know, like, will these breast milk banks go and be able to, can you talk to one of them and just have them document the fact they'll supply? He got it from like 20, you know, he came back to us with like a Rolodex and we were just like, whoa, <laughs> we didn't even ask for that. And he had it documented with LOIs and this and that. And it was just like, okay, we love working with this guy. This is awesome. And then, you know, on top of that, we started chatting and we got along really well. And it was like, it became really comfortable to make that, to make that investment because, uh, um, you know, we really felt like there was something there where we'd earn that mutual respect. And it's it, like I said, it, it doesn't have to happen after the investment. The whole process of, of learning and earning starts, you know, before. Yeah. Mutual. There's a mutual accountability on both sides. Absolutely. No, I love it. And, and that's some uh, great advice. Um, right now, what we're going to do just because we've gone through this great journey and, and I loved it. It was awesome to learn a lot more about what you've done and how you've got to here. Uh, we've got some rapid fire questions. 
that we'll jump into if that works for you. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Okay. So the first one isn't as rapid fire only because it kind of ties into it. But so what got you interested in investing in early stage companies? Um, I have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in one thing. I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I, I have a really, really diverse set of interests. Uh, and so investing allows me to dabble in so many different things. I can have a conversation in the morning about the efficacy of the treatment of a drug against cancer. And in the afternoon, I can be talking about soil and compost. And then in the evening, before I go to bed, I'm talking with an edge computing company. And to me, that is like, you know, um, that's, that's like the, the juice of life is getting, and, and entrepreneurs are so smart and they've dedicated their lives to these things. And you just get to like feed off that energy. Uh, and, and so I feel so privileged and lucky. And the reason why I'm so attracted to it is like that ability to interface with the smartest people in so many different um, capacities. I'm going to take that recording and put it beside my name on, on LinkedIn. So when they push play, it'll just say that because <laughs> I totally agree with that because it's exactly how I, I look at things. Generalists wake up one Dude, day. Yeah, I got excited even talking about it. You yeah. can see it like pump up. <laughs> oh, it's, it's very good. Oh, I almost swore there. It was very exciting. I like it. That was good. Um, okay. So what's your favorite part of investing? Uh, favorite part of investing. Um, I would say probably origination. Um, origination is awesome. So origination is the finding of opportunities. And so I, I, I attend all of like the startup events and pitch it, pitch, pitching contests and investor contests and, um, you know, getting to see and hear all these incredible ideas. Um, you know, 1% of them are appropriate for checkmate, but it doesn't mean I don't get to hear like 80 incredible ones. Like they're just not right for checkmate, but oh, wow. It's, 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 it's remarkable. Um, just got back from something or if I didn't go back, I was hearing, but watching my thing called the Needham growth conference, okay. uh, investors only, but uh, you know, top 100 fastest growing companies in the world or us at least. And just listening to what they're doing and the different exciting things they're working on. And I feel so privileged again, just such a privilege to be able to, to be part of that. And so, you know, origination. Awesome. Love it. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? If we're doing everything right, I'd say maybe 10. Okay. Uh, any, well, you mentioned verticals, but you can share it again, the verticals you focus on. Yeah. Um, health and biosci, um, ag tech, um, waste to resource, um, would be probably our, our main, where right now our entire team actually comes from renewable energy. Uh, and so we have like, you know, energy and energy lens as well. We've done some energy investment. And right now we're starting a new vertical that we're all really interested in, that's smart cities. Okay, awesome. Uh, do you have any due diligence requirements that you look for before you make it a commitment? And many, <laughs> we have a huge checklist we send out. You know, I think our team, probably from the from the from the starting point in BioSci, we have a, we have a pretty we have a pretty specific lens around IP. We we want good defendable IP. Um, you know, uh, I I think we're probably less worried about um, you know these massive addressable markets. We're willing to operate in a more niche space if there's a clear trajectory to 
an industrial purchaser or an exit, that's, that's, you know, reasonable. Okay. Um, we don't have external capital. So we have a longer picture as well, as much like, you know, not yet, at least maybe we'll have a formal fund in the future, but for now, you know, you don't, you don't need to be, you don't need to be out in four years. Okay. Uh, timelines for investment, like start a conversation to the end. I want to say three months, but it typically takes five. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that you guys lead rounds, which is cool. Uh, anything material wise, like outside of material, the things that you really focus on when you're making an investment, the founder, the team, you mentioned IP, but is there something else that really is the nuts and bolts to the investment? Yeah. Like, like, um, um, uh, for, for us, we want some aspect of our network or our skill set to provide an unfair advantage to the founder. So for instance, you know, a lot of our team comes from Panasonic and has big roots into that, 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 that industry. Is there some way we really help you? Like, oh man, if we just landed this company as a client and, and this company, you know, this, this would really fly. And it's like, oh, we happen to know that those guys. Great. You know, this is perfect. Let's like, let's throw you some money. And then once you're ready, we'll just, we'll just walk you over to, you know, Frank, that that's the kind of circumstance we love, you know, uh, um, some way in which checkmate or our network and affiliates just, just gives this company the edge. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think, you know, that's sad for, for founders because there's no way for you to know that, um, you know, other than maybe researching us, but, but, you know, um, we love that, that, that synergy component. Okay. Love it. Any, uh, any preferred terms that you like to invest on like craft shares, common shares, uh, dad, we're early. We typically are convertible now. Okay. Uh, um, my, 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 my three of our team are like hardcore ex mill bank MA lawyers. So, you know, they, they have a sophistication with, uh, with, with the documentation process that I get to sit back <laughs> and let them work their magic. They can be pretty, 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 uh, um, they can be pretty sophisticated with that stuff. But to be honest, convertible note is typically the, the form of investment we take. Okay. Uh, do you do follow-up investments or yeah. take board seats? Okay. Yeah. Board seats? We've done, we've done follow-up, follow-on all the way up to pipe. Um, you know, okay. we've gone, we've gone the full way series, you know, seed, seed to series X and then, and then, you know, pipe. Perfect. Uh, do you lead rounds? Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Wrong question. I'm looking at the wrong one here. Do you take board seats, board seats. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh um, almost non-negotiable. Okay. So uh, if we're not the lead or we're not, we're not thing, but, but um, again, because of the synergistic relationship with our investments, or we're a lot more than just a, a cash investor, it's typically welcomed. Okay. No, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and totally needed when you guys are trying to be close to the business to help them out. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to jump into probably one last question. Then we're going to get to some quick personal questions. All so right. the last question is, uh, there's always a heartfelt story where you had an entrepreneur where she or he basically came from almost losing it all to just COVID hit and they just took off like a rocket ship. Do you have any kind of stories uh, and you can name names if you want, uh, it's totally up to you, but just something that really blew your mind um, of, and it could be a, a hard story that people just won't be able to understand, but it could be anything. It's just something that comes to mind around what it takes to be an entrepreneur and, 
and how tough it is or how great it can be if uh, you overcome the toughness? Uh, how great it can be. It's always hard. Um, I, I think, I think the, the, the one little mantra I'm sticking to right now these days is as I, as I stall to answer the question is like, um, um, you, you can, you can be, you can be overweight or you can exercise. Both are hard. Choose your heart. You know, you, you can have a failed marriage or you can be, you can be alone. Um, both are really hard. Choose your heart. I mean, sorry, you can have a successful marriage or you can, you can have a failed marriage. Both are hard. Choose your heart. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can, um, you can be an entrepreneur or you can go to work at, uh, at an office. Both are hard. Choose your heart. You know, it, it, it's choice. And, um, people who, people who choose to go on the entrepreneurial journey, um, they're making a choice and it's hard. Uh, but, but if you're the kind of person who wants to be an entrepreneur, typically it's really hard not to be. <laughs> so you, you, you pick your heart, uh, both, 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 both are going to be hard. Um, you know, and we've had, we've had founders, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get, go into specifics of which company, but you know, we've had founders lose loved ones, um, you know, lose their spouse and, and, and have to continue on. And then, you know, the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey is providing them that, 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 you know, sense of meaning and fulfillment that, you know, uh, before, you know, maybe only that person provided and, you know, that that's been beautiful to see. Um, and at the same time, you know, um, I, I've seen the, 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 the dedication to, or the need for entrepreneurship to, um, you know, really, really have poor, bad impact and people stay with an entrepreneurial journey when, you know, maybe not the right decision to make. And, and so, um, it's, it's, um, I, I wish some of the, the mythology of entrepreneurship was, was removed, uh, because it's challenging and it's hard and it, it's just a choice and there's lots of great choices you can make. Um, you know, often you know, I, mean, I don't want to take up too much time, but even with funding, like I'm an investor, um, venture capital investor, very specific type of investment and often entrepreneurs confuse investment with validation of an idea because we're like seed and early stage investors. That first time you land an angel, wow, it means I've done, I have a great product. The only thing that makes your product great is the market if they choose to buy it. That's the only real validation of your, your product from a commercial perspective. And so the trap entrepreneurs fall into where they care more about getting venture capital investment than they do about launching a successful product for, for so many entrepreneurs I see, they come and tap me on the shoulder and ask about funding. I'm like, you're not even right for venture capital. You know, like this is a lifestyle business. And then there's some like, like, like judgment associated with that. Lifestyle businesses are the best. If you can find them, don't have a VC sitting on your head. You know, the guys I know that drive Ferraris and Lamborghinis, they all have lifestyle businesses. They own like auto body shops. So they have like some like thing, and, you know, they, they live in mansions and they drive Ferraris and, and there's no judgment about lifestyle businesses. They're just, they just don't follow the trajectory required for venture capitalists to make money. Yep. That's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. You, 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 you get loans, you bootstrap, you make a business, it does great. And um, it's great because people want to buy, buy the product it makes or the service it sells. Nope, I love it. I love it. I, and that was very well said. I, I agree. So now we're going to jump 
And the reason why I agree with that is because people have not dived into all of these components enough to understand each piece of it. So they have to leverage and utilize some measure to feel that they've got a win. And then they use that to keep building their next steps. They just need to shift around what that win looks like. And the yeah. win doesn't always have to be around venture capital or getting wins from the angels. It has to be wins that I got from my clients and that I've got market product or product market fit. And then I'm going to be able to get those other wins. Those should be intrinsic value that gets added in after because when you build something great, the VCs are going to find you. Yeah, absolutely. Or you've got margin already and you don't need VCs. <laughs> hey, wait a second. It will be out of a job. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, we're, we're almost at the end. It's been fantastic. So we've got three questions. Okay. Your favorite movie. Ooh. Ponette, French film about a little girl who loses her mother in a car accident. Unbelievable. It changed my perspective on film. What's it called? P-O-N-E-T-T-E. Net. Just a stunningly beautiful film. And which character would you play in the movie? In that movie? Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> Which character represents you? Like, what character would you? Yeah, the little girl has a the little girl has a best friend, but they're like you know that the, it's a very funny friendship. But his name is Mateus, and I, I would be Mateus in the film, like a minor side character. Awesome. Nope. Perfect. All right. I was just going to start with your favorite sports team, then get into these, but it came out faster because of your in movies. I got so excited. I was like. Movie question first, but there's no other team, the Raptors. Raptors, all right, I love it. Well, I do these questions because I learned from one of the one of the startups that we work with. Uh, I listen to their podcast, um, and they interview. Um, they have a couple of different ones, but the main one is that they interview uh, sports celebrities in basketball and whatnot. Uh, but they also have one where they interview the moms of basketball players. And it's really awesome because they get to learn so much about the individual that you wouldn't have got just by talking to him. Uh, or in the case of the, the basketball, they do women's basketball too, which is phenomenal. Um, so they bring all these people in together in their podcast. So it's pretty awesome. And they always ask little questions at the end that are more uh, personal. And I've never done something so personal. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to challenge myself to find out something personal with somebody. And those were the best because... I learned so much from the film that someone likes, but the character they pick. So then when you watch it, I actually learned more about that person thinking, oh my God, I can see how that blends. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's cool because people pick a character so close to themselves that it actually represents a lot of it. It's pretty cool. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah so, fascinating. yeah. So uh, I, I want to say, Donnie, one, I'm so glad we got to finally do the interview. Uh, and I'm glad that we've been chatting this uh, over this whole period of time and learning a little bit more and seeing all the things that you're doing and you're doing awesome stuff in the ecosystem. Uh, I'm going to follow up with you after all of this because uh, I'd love to continue uh, chatting and picking brain and sharing some of the stuff we're doing and, and seeing where that may tie in with yourself. Uh, but in the best of how we always like to close off our shows, we want to give you the last word and that is to share anything that you want to say to investors or to startups, any advice you want to give them, but we turn it over to you for the last word. Oh my goodness. Right now at this time and in this day and age, I just want to wish everyone health, happiness, and success, you know, uh, the, the top of that, just being health. 
you know, um, I, 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 I spend every morning I wake up and, uh, I feel very, I have a lot of gratitude for being in a circumstance where, you know, I'm not worried about my health, but I worry about everyone all the time right now. And my, my, my fellow Canadians and my fellow humans, uh, I, all, all I do is just want to, if I could take a moment to anyone who's listening and sincerely wish you good health in the next little bit, um, you know, that, that for me is enough. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I, you did a phenomenal job as I always do. Took lots of notes. Right, man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Love what you're doing. Love your support for the community. It's so needed. And, you know, um, look forward to our next conversation. You bet. I'll book out something for you. But uh, in the meantime, uh, keep it up, man. You're doing awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. You too, man. Cheers. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. And so many cool things just from the schooling, the types of investments they make. I love the fact that he's a Raptors fan and I got to check out this uh, Panay movie. That sounds really cool. Um, and the film that he took, uh, his film learning to tie that into creativity around helping startups and what he wants to invest in. So, um, and I like some of the stats he threw out about the 66% of um, companies that receive funding uh, will be taken over because they won't operate. And maybe there's uh, a way to change that so that entrepreneurs will stay just as hungry as they did when they start. And then uh, looking at this Porter's Five Forces. Very cool. Um, either way, Donnie, fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, everybody, for joining us.